Hallelujah. How could I want more? And yet, whew, we're finding out how much more is involved in that. One more time, if you will, take your, take your Bibles to Ephesians. I want to have that open on your lap where we can look at it. We've been on an incredible faith-strengthening journey. Uh, it's been, as we've carefully studied these first 14 verses of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. This, this church was planted in a metropolis, okay? It, it was like being in New York. It was like being uh, in Atlanta, uh, the center of, of finance, the center of commerce, the center of medicine, the center of, of, of everything that was going on, philosophy, everything in the known world came through Ephesus. And it was, it was huge. And people from all over the world of every kind of belief system and no belief system whatsoever were the inhabitants there. And that's where God planted this tremendous church. Fall, small little fledgling church. Not, not many Jews to help start it. All of those just came to faith in Jesus Christ. And this church, in 50 years, radically transformed the entire city of Ephesus. The, the uh, silversmith guild which supported the temples of Diana and so on and so forth, gone. The temples uh, of Artemis laying in ruins. The theater that could house a tenth of the population was overflowing week after week with believers in worship. That's the impact of the practical gospel of Jesus Christ had in this enormous city. And yet these were plain people. They were not well-to-do. They were not uh, the moneyed people, if you please. They were not head of the unions or the trade guilds. And so Paul wants them to know that they are heirs of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they have riches beyond the ability to even comprehend and so he starts this out with an illustrative list, not an exhaustive list, but an illustrative list of who we are because we are in Christ. Now, it's one thing to have Christ in us, it's something else to be in Christ. When we come to faith in Jesus, we ask him to come into our heart. Jesus, come into my heart, save me, and that's exactly what he does. But at that same time, we are baptized into Christ. We are plunged into Christ. We are in Him. And because we're in Him, all of these tremendous things that Paul's writing about are true for us right now. Can I say right now? I don't know if we've said that enough, Derek, in this process. These are ours now and forever and ever. Amen. Well, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We are, are chosen from before time began in Christ. We are made holy and blameless in Christ. We are predestined to adoption in Christ. We are begraced. We are accepted. We are totally immersed in Christ. We have been redeemed by the blood and forgiven through His grace in Christ, in Christ, in Him, in Jesus, over and over again, those two words just echo and resonate like the bass drum that's always pounding underneath and giving us the rhythm. This is what he's talking about, who we are because we're in Christ. And the list goes on 
today. Because today we pick up there in verse 11. Actually, verse 10 ends with the, word, the two words, in him. And then verse 11, this is in the King James Bible, uh, starts with the same two words. I'll tell you why in a minute. In him also, on, on top of everything else, in him also we have obtained, that means as a present possession right now, we have obtained an inheritance. Being predestined, there's that wonderful word again, uh, God set the boundaries, set the limits, made the means by which a predestined according <clears throat> to the purpose of His will, who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, once again I stand amazed and I thank You for bringing these words to Paul's mind from all of his vocabulary, choosing these, and seeing to it that he wrote these to this precious church that he loved at Ephesus. And then you oversaw that letter, and you vouchsafed its contents, and you saw to it that it was not only delivered there to the church at Ephesus, but it survived all of these years to come to us today. Because it's the Word of God. Because it's holy. Because it's inspired. Because it's the absolute truth. And here it is for us today. So Holy Spirit, You who are the ultimate author of this Word, as we open our hearts to You, we open the hearts of heaven. And speak heart to heart. In Your name we pray. Amen. Now, as I mentioned, uh, this verse begins with the word in Him, and the verse before ends with in Him. Uh, there's a reason for that. Uh, some of you, as you were learning to write, and as you were learning to make sentences and paragraphs, there was one little particular thing that you would often forget, and that would be a little dot that ended your thought, the end of the sentence. I don't think Paul knew what a period was either, so don't feel bad. It's hard to know when you're translating from the original language where this goes. Does it come to the end of verse 10, or is it supposed to be at the beginning of verse 11? The people who worked on the translation for the New King James Bible said, you know what, we can't tell, we'll put it in both places. Well, it works fine in both places. But if yours has it at the end of 10, uh, you're not a heretic. If yours is at the beginning of 11 and not a 10, you're not a heretic. They're both there, and they're both abundantly clear. And now here's what I want us to dig into right here. The first uh, three thoughts that come out of this that are just blowing my mind, and I can't, I can't hardly keep still to where I can share with them. Three thoughts that flow out of this passage that I want you to grasp this morning. Here's thought number one. It's in your notes. If you've got those downloaded, you can fill in the blanks right here. Apart from Jesus Christ, the only ultimate eternal thing a person can receive from God is condemnation. Wow, what a downer, Brother Fred. No, listen. Apart from Jesus Christ, unless a person is saved, unless a person has come to faith in God through Christ as his Lord and Savior, none of these blessings apply. I'm sorry. 
They might be wonderful things, and you might have experienced bits and pieces of them here in your life, but this has not been poured out on you in abundance from God because you're not His child. Rather, what the Scripture tells us is because of our sin, because we naturally follow our inclination to do what we want to do, and it don't matter what anybody else says, the result of that is that we are separated from God. We are distanced from God. There is, is a, 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 a canyon between us that we cannot bridge. And so we find ourselves, because of our sinful condition, because of our determined minds, and I want what I want, because of that, we find ourselves lost. We find ourselves in need of a Savior. And because God is just, because He's just, he cannot just look over my sin and yours. He can't just kind of say, well, we just won't, we just won't pay any attention to that. No, every sin, if he's, if he's a just God, every sin must be punished. And the Bible tells us the punishment for that is death. It's separation from God from all time and all eternity. So the only thing we get by nature, the only thing we get by just being human is we get condemnation. We get condemnation. But, the good news is, God's got a better plan. And that plan is the gospel. From, we've learned that from before time began, our Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, set certain parameters, certain boundaries. He set certain means by which man could receive His Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior, and be saved. Come out from under that condemnation, and rather come into blessing. That they could come from being outside of Christ, and they can come to be in Christ. And I'm not just making this up, I'm not trying to pull things together. Can I read you just a couple of Scriptures? Because I think the best interpretation of the Scriptures is the Scriptures, okay? Can we just let them say what they need to say? Let's look for a moment at Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. And I want you to just kind of read this along with me. You can read it in your Bible. We've got it on the overhead. Uh, folks at home can see it as well. Look at what it says right here. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Not the name of Buddha. Not the name of Confucius. Not any other name. The only name. The only name. You know what the word only means? Only. The only name that can bring salvation is the name of Jesus. Now, now that's, that's in Acts. Let's get a little closer to our Savior's heart. Let's look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And let's see what Jesus Himself said. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That's pretty exclusive, isn't it? You just wait a minute. No one comes to the Father except by me. No, no amount of good deeds that you can do, 
No amount of money that you can give to good uh, causes. None of that. If you're going to get to heaven, if you're going to get to Father, if you're going to be saved, it's going to be by Jesus Christ. And there is no other way. There is no other name. And, and let me tell you, anyone who's told you that all roads lead to heaven and everybody can choose their own path to get there has not read the Bible. They're fooling you and they're pawns of Satan. Don't buy that garbage. Let the Word speak. Let the Word of God speak. This church has been founded on that for hundreds of years. Let the Word speak. Paul was writing in Romans chapter 6, and almost you can read this, and it's like a spiritual biography of where we've been and where we're going. We, let's, let's read that together. He says, or, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, there's that, name, that phrase again, in Christ, were baptized into His death, you and I were baptized into His death. I was telling Jacob a few minutes ago, when I, we lay you back into the baptismal waters, you identify with the death of Christ. You are buried with Him in baptism. Wow! Did you know that in some mysterious, miraculous way, when you were saved, and it's pictured in your baptism, but it's when you were saved, you were transported back in time and you with Christ was nailed to the cross. Your sins were punished for all time and eternity right there on the cross. That's what the Bible says. I'm not making this up. That's what the Bible says. Now, now let's read on. Not, not, not only this, but let's continue with that verse. Therefore, there's the therefore. <laughs> we're buried with Him through baptism into death, now look at this, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. It's not done yet. Let's go on. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we are all the more in the likeness of His resurrection. United with Him. Folks, that's what I want you to understand. My salvation, your salvation, all the blessings that we've been talking about, they are ours because we're in Christ. Nothing else. You don't earn this. This isn't a payday for you. No. This is all out of the abundant riches of His grace. Whew, gosh. And it gets better. And it gets better. Let's, let's, let's read on in our text here for today. It says, we have obtained an inheritance. Here's thought number two. In Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, uh, this is one word, obtain an inheritance, is one word in the Greek. And it's in a peculiar tense. It's a tense of the verb that we can't quite duplicate in our English. That's part of what makes translating the Bible from one language to another uh, difficult. I'm going to talk about that tonight in our class, Welcome to the Bible. But sometimes it's hard to just have one word that, that goes with a word in another, uh, uh, another language. 
sometimes I was Eric Van Pelt. You saw him earlier. We would be out somewhere, maybe uh, having a meal or whatever, talking, uh, or maybe we're studying the scriptures together. And he's he, he he's going to say something, and he gets to a point, and and a Spanish word comes out. Now I'm assuming it's not profanity. I don't know Spanish. It could be, but he you know has to blurt out the Spanish word. And I says, "What's that mean?" He said, "I'm trying to remember, <laughs> trying to figure. I got to call my wife. If, what does this you know? Because it, it expresses everything." in Spanish, but you've got to have a paragraph in English. Okay? And that's true with every language. This is a one word, <laughs> and it translates something in a peculiar tense. It's something that is in the future, but is so absolutely certain, I can speak of it in the past and present. It's something that's in the future, but is so absolutely assured to me. I, I possess it even now, and I can speak about it in the present and even the past tense. And that's what we, we have right here. And, and that tense of the word is kind of like saying, this is a done deal. We got a phrase, you can take it to the bank. That's what that means. This is absolute, it's certain for right now. It's not pie in the sky by and by, it's right now. And it's ours until the end of time. And what is it? It has to do with this inheritance. It has to do with this inheritance. But here's where the sentence gets a little tricky. And I, I ran across this in seminary. This was one of the verses we had to translate in our Greek class. And half of the, I don't know about half, some of those in the class translated it, we have obtained an inheritance. And another part of the class says, we have become an inheritance. And the fact of the matter is, both are correct. Both are linguistically, spiritually, theologically correct. And in that sentence, you can translate it either way. So I want to look at it both ways. First, the first rendering is that we, that is believers in Christ, are Jesus Christ's inheritance. We are His inheritance. Jesus repeatedly spoke of believers being the gifts that the Father had given to Him. Especially in the Gospel of John. But even in the Old Testament in Malachi, it says, And they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on that day I will prepare my own possession or inheritance. So from eternity past, the Father planned and determined that every person who would trust His Son for salvation would be given to His Son as His Son's eternal possession and inheritance. You and I are Christ's inheritance. I want that just to kind of sink in just a little bit. Say this in your mind. I am Christ's inheritance. Think about that. I am Christ's inheritance. I'm his and he's mine. But inheritance is something that's it's valued. I mean, even if it's not silver and gold or money, if it's something or whatever, you know, uh, my, I have my grandfather's watch don't work any, anymore, but I still take it out and wear it every now and then. It's correct twice a day, so I might as well wear it. But I, I wear it because it's, it's His. And it's part of my inheritance. And I, I feel that oneness with Him when I, I put that on and, and wear it. But you are God's inheritance. Can I show you this in a very limited way? Valeria and I, if we came, as we came to faith in Christ... 
there were many things in our lives that spiritual curses that the Lord over time has broken. And we give Him praise and honor for that. But we have been blessed with three sons. Gosh, they're incredible young men. I'm so proud of them. I'm proud of the anointing God's put on their lives. I tell you, they can now preach your daddy. They're, they're great, great ministers of the gospel. And we look at them, and Blair and I were just talking about this over the weekend. They are our inheritance from the Lord. And they have given us three tremendous daughters in love. Who? I tell you what, I've told the boys, if you ever get divorced, I'm going with her. You can forget it. Three tremendous women. Ooh. And they are our inheritance. And they have given us grandchildren. Ooh. I'm glad now I didn't kill them boys when they were young. And we owe those grandchildren. And thank you again for praying with us so much for one of them, Seth. He's doing better, bless God. Uh, they're even talking about maybe, maybe, maybe by the end of the week him coming home. So thank you again for, for your prayers there. But we look at those grandchildren and we see these are our inheritance. And then when we think about the lives that those boys are touching and those women are touching and those grandchildren are touching and how they're bearing Christ wherever they go. And we see all these people whose lives are being touched because of the Gospel through our young'uns. This is our inheritance. And we just, wow. But now wait a minute. I'm not really talking about me and my inheritance. That's how God looks at you. That's my boy. And, and his spouse. And their kids. And everybody whose lives they're touched. And you know what's great about God's inheritance? It's growing. Because each and every time one of us brings somebody else to faith in Christ, the inheritance is growing. And, and this, the father says to the son, Son, here's your inheritance. The, these people that you love, that you gave your life for, this is your inheritance. And bringing them with you is your reward. Whew! Somebody better say amen or I'm going to say it for you. All right. that, that's one way to interpret this verse. <clears throat> but it's not the only way. The other way that you can render this and interpret it is that the believers receive an inheritance. And that's how most of the time it is translated. And, and that's, that's how it's really translated here in the version I just read from earlier. But this isn't the only place it is. Let me read to you from 1 Peter 1 and verses 3 through 4. This is fabulous, wonderful, wonderful truth right here. Peter is speaking and says, We are born again into a living hope. I think I gave you the wrong, must give you the wrong passage up there, guys. I'm sorry. We're born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, which is undefiled, and will not fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you who are kept, reserved, by the power of God 
unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last day. Here it is. Our inheritance is kept for us, and we're kept for our inheritance. Can you get happy about that? And that don't have anything to do with how good you are. It has everything to do with how good He is. Okay? We obtain an inheritance as well. Now, both of those are grammatically and theologically true. I come out on the side that we receive the inheritance. I think that's more in fitting with what Paul's trying to say right here. But there's a practical side to this. We are so utterly identified with Christ, in Christ, in our lives, that our lives reflect His. That our lives reflect His. Wherever I would go on base, when we were living in the various places Dad was stationed, wherever I went, I represented Dwight Warren Lodge Sr., Master Sergeant, USMC. And I got reminded of that most every morning I walked out the door. Because wherever I went, <clears throat> I was me, and I was His. And so it reflected who He on Him. Your name is written on you. God's put His name on you. Each and every one of us. And wherever you go, you reflect Him because you're His. I wanted to be a good reflection on my daddy. Most of the time, there were a few times I wasn't, but don't you want to be a good reflection on your daddy? That's what he's asking for. Our inheritance has one yet another amazing, magnificent blessing. This is part of this, all of this entourage, this litany, as Derek said earlier, of the things that are ours because we are in Christ. Every conceivable need is met by God's gracious provision in accordance with His divine promises. Peace, love, grace, wisdom, eternal life, joy, victory, strength, guidance, power, mercy, forgiveness, righteousness, truth, fellowship with God, spiritual discernment, heaven, eternal riches, you name it. As a matter of fact, read it. Bible's full of them. And they're yours. They're mine. Now. And for eternity. Let me take you to the third thought. Got to get this in. <clears throat> Paul shows us this inheritance that we have. Has a divine side and has a human side. Now, I'm going to spend a few minutes today talking about the divine side. Next week, we're going to talk about the human side. So we're going to just deal with part of this, the, the divine side, the divine perspective on our salvation. Look at verse 11 and part of verse 12. Having been predestined according to His purpose, underline those two words, His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, underline His will, to the end that we should be the praise of His glory, underline His glory. Those three words, I want you just to, want them to pop off the page at you right now. Okay? And sometimes if I highlight them or underline them, they pop off of the page of me every time I go back and read them. Okay? These... these Three things. First of all, here's the divine perspective on all these blessings, especially our salvation. God's predestination. Having been predestined according to His purpose. He saved us for His purpose. Now, I want to pause in a minute. 
He did not save you and I so that we can have our purpose. We can find out what we want to do with this saved and transformed life. He saved us for His purpose. Own purpose for His purpose. He has a purpose. He has a desire. He has a will. He has something for you and me to do. He chose us to create us. You see, when we trusted His Son, as as yucky and as horrible as we were, vile and rebellious and deserving of our own death as we were, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, He made us just as holy as the one into who we put our faith and trust. Just as holy as Jesus is. He chose us from before the foundation of the world. And this process, this, these boundaries that where you and I can be saved, that's God's predestination. He chose the means and led us to that point. And I like to say God's Holy Spirit so stacked the deck in His favor that you'd have to row upstream, you'd have to swim against the current to not come to faith in Christ. That's his, his predestination. Second, His power. The word there, it works. He says, who works all things. Underline the word works. We, we get the words energy and energetic and energized from this. God is the one who makes this happen. See, a lot, a lot of times we miss this. We, we think, okay, God saved me. He cleansed me. He gave me a clean life. Gave me a fresh start in life. Now it's up to me to live right. To keep straight. If I ever make a mistake, oops, Sorry about that. Damned. No. God works this out. It's God's energy. God's power. God's dunamis. We get the word dynamite from that. God's dunamis that is at work. God chose you to be His child. He brought you into His family. And He will bring it all the way to pass. Amen. He'll be the one to make it happen. And energizing is an indispensable part of who He is in His creation. Will you remember just a moment from Genesis how He created the world? Did He, did he grab a chunk of nothing here and another chunk of here and, and, and put it out and try it? No, that won't work. Let's get another one. Try it. No, he, he didn't do that. He spoke and it happened. And I mean fully functioning. There was no such thing as an atom. And he spoke. And not only was it there, it was working. It was whirling. He thought, bird, and he spoke, bird, and there it was, flying in midair. When he spoke, it happened, and it was energized. It was already functional. He didn't have to do a prototype. He didn't have to do a rebuild. He didn't have to bring it back on a recall. He spoke, and it not only was, it was fully functioning. That's this word. Power. Energy. And it says, now, this, how does this apply to the salvation? He speaks, and it's done. It's done. And can't be undone. Energizing. That's God's power. And finally, His preeminence. That all of this should be to the praise of His glory. Man is redeemed for a purpose. 
And a large part of that purpose is to bring God honor and glory. We do that by our worship. We do that in our godly living. We do that wonderfully as we share our story and share the gospel of what God's done in our lives. We bring Him glory. Now, now there, there are people, I've, I've heard this argument, and it makes me rather angry, <clears throat> but they say, well, God really has a real ego problem. If he needs somebody to praise him to make him feel good, he's got a real ego problem. And, and, and somebody with such a poor sense of self-worth and identity is not a God worth following. I don't know if you've heard that or not. That's a very strong argument in the world today. Let me tell you, if it was me, if it was you, and we needed the praises of people to feel good about ourselves and to build us up and to do something for ourselves, that would be absolutely true. Okay? But when you're God, you deserve it. You've earned it. And it's not bragging on somebody that may or may not be absolutely true. It's giving honor and glory to the one who is true. And who has done this all in His preeminence. It's about Him. It's about Him. You were saved wonderfully. And you've got a story to tell. And you know how to share the gospel. But it's not about you. It's about Him. It's about Him. You know, He did not save my sorry soul so that I could say to this world, look at me. Look at what I've made out of myself. Look at how I've changed. Look at all of the things. No. What a stupid, prideful thing that would be. No, our heart song is this. Look at Christ. Look at what He's done. Look at how He's transformed our lives. Look at the magnificence of who He is. Because it's all about Him and not about us. That's the sharing of the gospel, folks. Part of our inheritance is that we get to do this. We get to do this. We get to be a part of His purpose for this world, for all mankind, by engaging with Him in what I like to call the family business. And that's sharing our story and sharing the gospel and seeing other people come to faith, seeing them baptized, seeing them grow in the Lord. Discipling them to the cross and discipling them away from the cross. That's the family business. And you know what, Roy, I don't remember where he got this quote from, but boy, I love it. He said, this, this old ship Zion, the church, you know, years ago in the Negro spiritual, that was what the church was referred to as the old ship Zion. There's songs about it. This old ship Zion, it's not a cruise ship. It's not where you're waited on hand and foot minute after minute and all the meals prepared just the way you like it and your bed's made once you get out of it. It's not a cruise ship, folks. Old ship Zion, the church, is a battleship. And every hand has a job to do. Every person on that battleship has a role to do. 
and they're trained in it and they're ready and when the sound goes off and all hands are on deck, they all go to their positions. They all assume what it is they're supposed to do and they're about doing what the ship's in the water to do. Now if you think that the church exists so you can be happy, sing the songs you like, not ever say anything that's going to hurt your feelings, there's the door. You're in the wrong boat. You're in the wrong boat. But if you understand that this old ship Zion is a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're all signed up as crew on this magnificent vessel, then you show up here to serve. And if you don't have a way, you find a way. You ask for a way. Because otherwise, what are you doing on the battleship? Maybe you need to be in a rowboat. All hands on deck. All leaves canceled. We're at war! Don't be AWOL. Let's pray. Father, you had Paul to write these words to the church. So they're for us as church members. But they're also to encourage those who are not. Look at, look at what God's doing. Don't you want to be a part of this? There are those here today and those watching today who would love to know that they are Christ's inheritance, that they have an inheritance. They would love to have all the blessings we've been talking about. To have that sort of heart relationship with God. They can join the family. They can get on board by praying and accepting you as their Lord and Master. They may not know how to do that, so Holy Spirit, will you encourage them to pray right now, to pray along with me, and just say, oh dear God, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I've done life my own way. Didn't care about your Bible, or about your church, or about you at all. But right now I've heard the Gospel. I've heard that Jesus died for my sins and rose again that I could have eternal life. So I ask you to come into my heart. Cleanse me and forgive me. I want you to be the boss, the king, the ruler of my life. I dare to believe that you died for me and rose again so that I could have your life. I give my life to you. Father, I know on your authority that you've never refused that prayer. And you never will. And even now, angels are rejoicing because they're seeing those who've prayed and received Christ even this morning. And we want to rejoice too. So if there are those in the sanctuary here today that have prayed along with me, you encourage them in the next few moments to come forward, to take a spot here on the front row, and let us come and be with them, socially distanced and all that stuff, and be able to just confirm with them their prayer, and give them some scriptures to encourage them. Father, there may be others here that are already believers, but they feel led to just come to the altar and pray and worship you and thank you and go out of here saying, I want to be an inheritance that makes my Father proud. Lord, this is your time. As Ed leads us in this song, it's still for your glory. It's not about us, but it's all about you. So may we obey you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand?